Bible prophecy is often misunderstood and misapplied, which leaves many people confused or fearful. But when the Bible is studied in its proper context, prophecy becomes clear and understandable. There is no one we can trust more than Jesus, and His words will speak specifically to us as we study them in their simplicity. Welcome to Jesus on Prophecy. Question number one asks, does anyone believe in heaven anymore? And we see that many people today have different opinions or ideas or answers of what heaven could be like. And uh, if you ask teenagers today, they'll probably say, heaven, man, that's pie in the sky, out there, somewhere. It's unreal, man. I can't fathom it. Right? Others, like a middle-aged woman who's uh, busy shopping and doing her errands day in and day out, she'll probably think, heaven is a state of mind. It's an inner peace. It's a state of calm. And that would be heaven for me. A successful businessman would probably define heaven as heaven is my house. It's worth three million. My chariot is my Lexus. And my angels are my children. If you ask college students, they might think heaven is... Are you so out of touch that you still believe in those fairy tales? And an elderly couple might think we hope, we hope that heaven is a real place. The older we get, the more we long for it. We just hope that we were taught what we were taught in our childhood is true. And so many people, so many different ideas, so many different answers. Confusion regarding the topic of heaven. So what is heaven really like? Where can we find valid information about heaven? And why is there so much confusion about heaven? Why these hazy, ambiguous opinions? And the question is, where can I find a key that will unlock the mysteries of heaven to us? And why not look where millions have looked and found reliable answers? And no, I'm not talking about books like Heaven is for Real, where this boy apparently went to heaven, had a near-death experience. There's a lot of books like that that are bestsellers. But I'd like to recommend to you an even better source. Uh, We see that the Bible tells us very clearly what heaven is like. Amen? So our theme for this whole series has been, if it's in the Bible, I believe it. If it's not... In the Bible, if it disagrees with the Bible, it's not for me. And so we have nothing to compare with the truth about heaven. And the Bible is unsurpassed in the fact that we can turn to the Bible to see all the questions, the answers to our questions. And we're going to start in Revelation. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1. It says, the, the apostle John says, now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. You see, friends, 
Each of the prophets, all the way from the beginning in Genesis to Revelation, pointed men and women to, forward to a new heavens and a new earth. These prophets pointed forward to a new world, a world with clean air and water, a world free from war, crime, and violence, a world filled with love, joy, and peace. And we all know that the Bible talks about a new heavens and a new earth. It talks about Eden restored, Eden made new. And we can only imagine what Eden must have been like. Crystalline, clear lakes, pure air, bright sunshine, cloudless days. And just like Jim said earlier, he mentioned food first. <laughs> The trees bore lush, delicious fruits. Flowers perfumed the air. Their beauty was indescribable. All of nature was in harmony. The birds and the animals did not scatter in fear at the approach of Adam and Eve. In fact, it was quite the opposite, really. They would actually flock to them as they were present. There was love and joy and companionship. There's no taint of sickness or suffering or disease until the Bible says that an intruder came into that garden. He suggested to Eve that sin would bring her greater happiness than what she was experiencing at that present time. Greater happiness than obedience to her Creator. And he suggested that disobedience would bring her greater freedom. And Eve, our first mother, fell for that lie. And our first father, Adam, followed her lead. And thus, our planet was plunged into rebellion. And the sad drama of sin brought sickness, suffering, heartache, and death to our world. And every generation since Adam, the hearts of men and women have longed for the return of the Eden life, to return and to live in a world free from the pain and suffering of this planet in rebellion. And we see that throughout the centuries, there were men and women that held fast to God. Throughout the centuries, there were men and women who looked beyond what it is and what will be. They looked beyond time to eternity. These faithful men and women focused their eyes on another country, on another land, on another kingdom. And they believed that this earth was not their home. They believed that there is something better than sickness, suffering, heartache, death, and disease. And we see that one of these men was by the name of Abraham. Abraham's vision was fixed on eternity. He set his sight on another world. Abraham focused his mind not on things of time, but the things of eternity. He dreamed of what would be. And we see in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 10, page 1155, it says of Abraham, Hebrews 11, verse 10, page 1155. It says, For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. 
Abraham, although he wasn't there, he was breathing in heaven's atmosphere. He was looking for a city whose builder and maker was God. That royal line of faith continued, though, in the life of Moses. Moses was a captive slave in the land of Pharaoh in Egypt, and Moses was destined to rule on the throne of Egypt. And Moses was destined to be a pharaoh of Egypt. But the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 24 through 26, it says, By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. You know, friends, sin, I'm not going to deny it, has pleasure. But it is temporary. It is short-lived. It leaves men and women broken, bruised, and battered. Moses would not enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, but instead, the verse continues, it says that esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Speaking of these faithful men and women, God says in verse 13 and 14 of that very same chapter, these all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For those who say such things declare plainly that they seek a homeland. Although the promise is afar off, we can be like that royal line of faithful patriarchs who longed for, who by faith embraced the promise, who cherished that promise, and we too can also embrace it and cherish it ourselves. This world is not our home. We're just passing through. We're just pilgrims on this planet called Earth. We see, it says, but now they desire a better, that is a heavenly country. There's something beyond. We are strangers to this earth. Eternity is within view. And here is something which gives us hope and confidence. Heaven is not too far away. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16 says, Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. This city, friends, is beyond our wildest imagination. Heaven is a real place, not some make-believe world. That holy city will descend, and this world as we know it will be over. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, page 1100. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. It's unfathomable what God has in store for us. The imagination cannot capture exactly what heaven will be like. 
And we see that even if we try to imagine the deepest joy that you could possibly have, heaven's joy is greater than that. Imagine a heart that is at peace and rest. Heaven's calm has greater peace and greater rest. Imagine the most wonderful fellowship, the most open sharing that you could have with a brother or sister, the most honest communication with friends, but friends that pales in comparison to God's communication in heaven with us and with those we love. And the fellowship is closer and even more intimate than that. The book of Revelation gives us a description of the holy city that is so breathtaking. And we see in question number two, it asks, how does Revelation describe heaven? You know, John was actually given a vision of the holy city coming down from heaven to this planet, planet Earth. And we look at Revelation chapter 21, verse 2. It says, then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Who prepared the city? Who prepared the city? It had to be God. The Bible says that it's prepared as a bride. Did you catch that? As a bride adorned for her husband. Because God wants you, friends. He's preparing something for you that is absolutely fantastic. That's going to supersede your expectations. More beautiful, more incredible, more marvelous than you can ever imagine. And we see that as the holy city descends to a remade earth, it's the most festive event in the universe. And the Bible describes the glories of this holy city in this way. Revelation chapter 21 verse 14 it says, Now the wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. So who were the apostles? Can you name some of them? Okay, Peter, Matthew, James, John. Like, so their names are going to be on the foundations of this city. Isn't that special? Aren't they lucky to have their names all throughout eternity on the foundations of the city? But, but who were the 12 apostles? If you really think about it, you just kind of take a look at their life. Thomas was the one who was the doubter. <laughs> we see that Peter, he denied Christ. We see James and John were called the sons of thunder. But yet... These disciples were common, ordinary men like you and I. They were like men and women in our society today. They had their doubts. They had their fears. They had their shortcomings. But these disciples, fishermen, tax collectors, common, ordinary laborers, had their weaknesses just like we did. But nevertheless, these followers of Christ were people with their faults, but their names are on the foundations of the holy city. Why? Why are their names on the foundation of the holy city? Because this should be very reassuring to us. Because God is saying that if they can make it, so can we. If they can make it, despite all their shortcomings and despite all their fall, 
flaws and defects, we too can make it as well. Isn't that wonderful? Because they can go in, you too can go in. Heaven is not a place for a few super spiritual elite people. It's a place for common sinners who are redeemed by the blood of Christ. The Bible continues as it describes the city. It says in Revelation chapter 21, verse 16, the city is laid out as a square. Its length is as great as its breadth. So this city is like a perfect cube, in a sense. And there are four sides. Each side has three gates. Three in the north, three in the south, three in the east, three in the west. You know, in most cities, the ancient cities in past time have had very few gates. In this way, they were able to keep the enemy out. But in this city, there's three gates on every side. Heaven's goal is not to keep people out. Heaven's goal is to get as many people in. Amen? They come from the north, the south, the east, the west, and these three gates are to give them complete access from any direction into the city. But why are there three gates on each side? You may wonder. Well, three is a number for what? The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? So what we see here is that God is saying these three, the Trinity, the Godhead, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, these three will do everything in their power to make sure that you make it into the city. Can you say amen to that? Amen. The moment that you get baptized, do you know that the, the, the Trinity, the Godhead are working to make sure that you make it? That's a wonderful thing. When you make that decision for baptism, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, they will all take responsibility to make sure that you make it. Isn't that wonderful? God is saying, I'm, going, I'm not going to build a city with walls. All I'm going, to build, I'm going to build a city with gates because gates are what let people in. And God says, I want to bring as many people in as possible. Praise God. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 6, it says, He measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. Its length and breadth and height are equal. So the city is actually 1,500 miles in circumference. So that means it's 375 miles on each side. And um, if you actually look at its dimensions, it is very similar to the size of the state of Oregon. And so, uh, very interesting. And it says, what Jesus promised will certainly come true. In his Father's house are many mansions. And he has prepared one for you, friends. The book of Revelation describes the holy city as a fantastically magnificent place where the streets of the city are built of pure gold. It's so pure, it's like transparent glass that actually illuminates as the light hits it. And it says that the 12 gates were 12 pearls. Each individual gate is of one pearl. Why 12 gates? And why 12 pearls? I know women love pearls, right? Maybe that's why. I don't know. Uh, but I think there's something more to that. 
Jesus described himself as the pearl of great price. Did he not? And Jesus says, no man can come to the Father except through me. So there's no other name by which we can be saved except through Jesus. And Jesus is enough to get us through those gates. Amen? And I think those pearls are a reminder of that. The pearl of great price where you let go of everything in this world to attain that pearl. You let go of everything that you value in this life to gain that precious pearl, that precious access to heaven. That's what that pearl reminds us of. And it says, and the street of the city was pure gold like transparent glass. God is so rich, Donald Trump has nothing on him. <laughs> God is so rich, he has so much gold that he uses the gold to pave his streets. God is so wealthy that our God has never been found lacking anything. You may not have much here, but God has something for you up there. And it's absolutely incredible, friends. Soon the city will descend as the capital of this, of this earth made new. As this brilliant city descends down towards earth, fire flashes down, destroys the wicked, and purifies this planet of sin. And the surface of the earth becomes like a lake of fire. And all the remainders of the sin-scarred world will be swept away. Back alleys, penthouses where brutal, brutality and vice are festered are destroyed. But after the flames, Revelation tells us a new heavens and a new earth appear. The new Jerusalem settles down on a brand new planet and this new world bursts with life just as the Garden of Eden once did. Its river of life flows crystal clear. Its tree of life bears an abundance of fruit. Yes, friends, the redeemed will find themselves on solid earth, but it will be a new earth. That's what we have to look forward to. That's why the New Testament calls this the blessed hope. It's something that we can hang on to. It's something that won't crumble underneath our feet. This hope inspires our hearts and lifts our vision. This new earth will be the Garden of Eden restored. And the prophet Isaiah gives us a glimpse of this. In Isaiah chapter 35 verse 1. It says, the wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. Songs of rejoicing, songs of gladness. The earth made over again like the Garden of Eden. Carpeted with living green, the scenery will be fantastic. The beauty will be unimaginable. And the flowers and the trees and planets will well, and the plants will perfume the air with life-giving fragrance. The new earth, Eden, will be restored. Imagine opening our eyes to that new world. God's world. Imagine breathing in air, and it's God's air. Imagine drinking water, and it's fresh from the fountain of life. Imagine eating fruit and it's fruit from the tree of life. I can't imagine how that would taste. Imagine living in an atmosphere of incredible love. And further yet, have you ever wondered what kind of bodies we would have in Eden restored? 
Question number three, what will our physical condition be in this new earth? Some people have this idea that we are just redeemed spirit beings. We're floating around in heaven. Or we're playing a harp on a cloud. Or we're just like a cosmic vapor. Now, that doesn't make sense, does it? Based on what we studied so far? But let's take a, take a look at what the Bible says. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, page 1131. Feel free to follow along. Philippians 3, 20 and 21, page 1131. It says here, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to His glorious body. When Jesus Christ was resurrected, what kind of body did He have? Did He have a body? What kind of body was it? It was a glorious, resurrected, immortal body. When Jesus was in this new body, did he eat? Yes, he did. He ate in that resurrected body, didn't he? There are a number of experiences that Jesus had after his resurrection that reveal that he had a real, recognizable body. The Bible clearly says that we will be like him. And we see when Jesus met the disciples on the Emmaus Road, Jesus kept them from recognizing him at that moment because he had a lesson to teach them. But it says that when he broke the bread before their eyes, their eyes were opened. And they recognized Jesus by his unique mannerisms. Your friends in heaven will recognize you by your unique mannerisms. We see on resurrection morning, Mary recognized Jesus only when he called her name. Through the mist of the morning, she could not see him clearly through that tear-filled eyes. But when, she, when Jesus said, Mary, she recognized his voice. Your loved ones, too, will also recognize you by the intonation of your voice. And we see when Jesus appeared to the disciples in the upper room, they recognized him immediately. They knew his physical form. And your friends, your friends when you get to heaven, will recognize you by your physical appearance in the new heavens and the new earth, God will give you a glorious, immortal body. You will have a similar personality to the one you have now. God wants to save you. You see, if God sent Christ to die for you, it's you that he wants. Wouldn't it be strange if Christ paid the infinite sacrifice for you to die on the cross for you and then totally change your personality once you get to heaven and physical features that made you unique when you get to heaven? It's you he wants because there's no other one like you. It's your love that he wants. And it's through those unique strands of your personality, you'll be what you have been since the human race never fallen. And we see we'll be recognized one another by our unique mannerisms, voice intonations, individual personalities, but there'll be no taint of sin or disease affecting us. And here's a promise in Isaiah 33, verse 24. It says, And the inhabitant will not say, I am sick. The people who dwell in it will be forgiven their iniquity. Then the eyes of the blind shall be open, the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped, then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the dumb sing. God will open the mouths of people unable to utter a syllable now. 
Their tongues will be loosed so that they could sing praises to Him. Think of the joy. Question number four. What will our physical condition be in this new earth? Some people have this idea that the redeemed are just... Oh, we just read that one already. There's joy and happiness everywhere. Life flows through our veins, pulsates through our bodies. There's joy and happiness everywhere. And we see Revelation 21 verse 4 says, And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. There shall be no more what? Death, sorrow, crying, or pain. How many of you think that that sounds good? Okay, I saw one hand raised emphatically. (laughs) This is a new heavens and a new earth. Revelation 22 verse 1 says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. That water of life represents the very life of God that satisfies our every need. Nothing quenches your thirst like this water. Nothing quenches the inner need for God like God Himself. Nothing quenches our spiritual needs like God. And we see in the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life which bore twelve fruits. Each tree yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. As we eat from that tree of life, we'll be completely and fully made whole. Every mental scarring that we've experienced in a dysfunctional, sinful world, all that will be healed by God. All the love we fail to receive then, we will receive now in its complete abundance. And we will be loved by God, cherished by God, embraced by God, and satisfied by God. God Himself will hold us close. God Himself will whisper in our ears. And we will be fully satisfied. And the water of life, the tree of life, will satisfy our deepest ambitions and our deepest inner needs. God will be the source of our inner strength. Isaiah 40, verse 31, one of my favorite verses says, But those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. Some of you here are tired, I can tell. (laughs) You have the tired rings under your eyes. (laughs) Heavy eyelids. Weary body. Some of you lack energy here. Some of you may feel weary here. And God is going to give you an injection of divine energy. God is going to hook you up to the divine energy machine, the tree of life. And we see in Isaiah chapter 11 verse 9, it says that they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Violence is gone. War is gone. Conflict is over. There is no more strife between nations. They shall not hurt or destroy. They will put down those weapons of war. Every threat of war is gone. Peace fills the earth. And the meek shall inherit the earth. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. 
Heaven, my friends, is a real place. There will be real activities. Songs of praise and gladness covers the earth. Heaven is no make-believe world. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 65, verse 17, For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come to mind. You know, friends, when we get to heaven, you know, so many, so many people focus on the bad things that happen to them, but when we get to heaven and we see all the glories that heaven has to bring, do you know what's going to happen? They're going to, you're going to try to remember all the bad things and you're going to try to keep track of all the bad things that happen to you on earth, but you are not going to be able to remember them. Why? Because now you're in a better place where suddenly when you're there, you're like, whoa, this totally blows my mind. And you're going to think that the life that you lived, man, that's worth it to come here at the end. Heaven was cheap enough. If this is what I get for all the sufferings of earth, and I get this, what an awesome trade-off. There's going to be, in a sense, spiritual amnesia. Amnesia from, for wickedness. Amnesia for sorrows. Amnesia for disappointment. Amnesia for pain. is a cosmic amnesia that comes as a result of us entering into our heavenly home. We will forget about all the bad things that have ever happened to us. And Isaiah 65, verse 21 and 22 says what we'll be doing there in heaven on the new earth. It says that they shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Think of it. The best architects of the ages will be there. They will draw plans for your dream home at no charge. No charge for the lumber or whatever. <laughs> no property taxes. It's all yours for free. And, and all of the most outstanding building materials in the universe will be there at your disposal. Angels will even help build your house. Isn't that wonderful? If you want them to. And they shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of the tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. Question number five. What about fellowship and friends? What is it going to be like in heaven when we meet our friends and other characters from the Bible and other people of the faith? One of the greatest joys is going to be the time that we spend with those people. Heaven will not be boring. Heaven would indeed be boring if nobody was there to enjoy it with, but we see that that's not the case. Matthew chapter 8, verse 11 says, And I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. So we're going to sit down with the great spiritual minds of the ages. Think of it. God's heroes of faith throughout the ages will be there. The Bible worthies we have only read about and never yet met will be there. I can imagine what it will be like. I may be working my garden one day and... I see a man walking down the street. And I say, whoa, that guy, could that be, is that Adam? And I say, are you Adam? He says, yes, I am. And 
I said, wow, well, Adam, you know, I, I actually went by your house the other day. And I saw you had some ears of corn. It, it, it's, 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 uh, it looks very delicious. And he says, do you want some? I could give you some. Take, take as much as you want. And then Adam looks at my strawberries. He says, you know what? I've been admiring your strawberries, too. And I say, well, come on. And we both sit down, and we eat strawberries together on the porch of my house, and we talk about life. We talk about the joys of knowing Jesus and what Jesus means to us. And we spend that afternoon together with Adam. And the next day, I meet Moses. Moses who received the Ten Commandments by the very hand of God. And Moses and I talk about what was it like to go through the Red Sea and to see the walls of the water as you guys passed through, as the Egyptians were running after you. Weren't you scared? And he said, it was by faith that we followed what God wanted us to do. We talked about what it was, I, I, I asked him what it was like to lead the children of Israel for 40 years in the wilderness, and he tells me all about the stories, all the intimate details that I wouldn't have known. And then the next day, I meet Daniel. And he tells me about the lion's den experience. I said, Daniel, were you afraid? And he says, no, I trusted in God. Heaven is a place of fellowship. Heaven is a place where the angels and the cherub and the seraphim long for, to be with us. Heaven is where the great minds of the Bible and men and women of all ages will be there. And there's a place where we can fellowship with people like Peter, James, John, Paul, and most of all, Jesus himself. You know, one day, you and I will meet this Jesus who died for us. Jesus who had... Nails driven through his hands and feet. Christ who had a crown of thorns placed upon his head. This Christ who shed his blood for us. And I can imagine how many people will be lined up for their time with Jesus. <laughs> As we enter into that heavenly city though, Jesus will be very mindful of who's entering that city. You're not going to be just lost in the crowd. He's going to notice you. He's going to pay attention to you. And he's going to welcome you. He's going to say, this land is your land. This is your home. And you are never to cry again. Never to sorrow again. Never to be fearful again. The Bible tells us, in Isaiah 66, verse 23, from one Sabbath to another, all flesh shall come before me, says the Lord. The Sabbath will still be observed throughout all eternity. They'll come from the north and the south, from the east and the west. They will come to fellowship with him on the Bible Sabbath. What a worship service that will be. I believe that Jesus will be the preacher for our first Sabbath. What do you, what do you say? Amen. Jesus will be the first preacher. He'll preach that first sermon when we're there in heaven. And I'm going to be on the edge of my seat, hanging on his every word. That's going to be such an awesome thing. And I can't imagine it. 
But when we come there, there'll be this great heavenly temple. There'll be an enormous chorus of praise. The angels are singing, Worthy, worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive riches and honor and power and glory forever. The angels are singing. The cherubim are singing. The Father gets up and He introduces His Son. And Jesus stands up. He reaches back and pulls back a lock of His hair. And the scars from the crown of thorns are still there. The marks of sin are the marks that are still faintly visible in his hands. The faint print of the wounds is an external reminder of his love for us. And Jesus says, I've loved you so much, I went to the cross for you. Look at the beautiful flowers, Jesus says. They're all for you. Take a breath of this fresh air. It's for you. And Jesus says to you and I, I want to know you and I want to live with you forever. Revelation chapter 21 verse 3 says, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men and he will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. Revelation chapter 22 verse 4 says, They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads. One day, as I'm leaving that heavenly temple, Jesus will stand before me. And he reaches out his hands and says, Brian, come walk with me. Let's take a walk together. And we go on that walk and we approach this field of grain. And Jesus reaches out and plucks off some of that grain and he hands it to me and says, taste it. And I taste it. And he says, there's no other grain like this in the world. I made its chemical formula for your taste buds. Do you like it? And I'm like, yes, Lord, this is awesome. And we walk over a hill and he says, look at these flowers. Aren't they magnificent? There are no flowers like this in all the universe. Look at the purples, the reds, the blues, and the pinks. There's nothing like it in the world. I made this bouquet just for you, and I painted a hillside with it. And the angels, I could hear in the background, over the hill, singing praises to God. And Jesus turns to me, he says, they're singing your song. You are valuable to me. You are precious to me. And he puts his hands on my shoulders and he says, you know something? Brian, I want to tell you something. There's nobody else like you. I don't have anyone else like you in this world. None of the angels are like you. None of the millions of the redeemed are like you. I don't have anybody like you because you are so valuable to me because if I lost you, I couldn't replace you. And he feels that way about you, friends. Christ came to this earth and poured out all of heaven for you. God's plans for you are more amazing than you realize. God's plans for you are far more exciting than you can ever imagine. And one day he's going to come. One day you and I are going to go home. Going home where we belong. Going home where we sense our hearts will never roam and will be with Him forever. No sickness, 
No suffering, no death throughout all eternity. And we'll be with our friends and our loved ones forever. That is indeed a blessed hope. If we don't have that hope, we have nothing. There's nothing more important for us to believe in Christ, to love Him, and to serve Him. You know, there's a story about this young teenager who got into an argument with her parents and she had it. She says, I'm running away. And she did just that. She left the house and she ran away and said, I'm not coming back home. And as she was venturing off by herself, she was walking along downtown, and there were some shops nearby. She was taking time as she was walking. She paused every now and then to admire the beautiful clothing that they had on display. And then as she was doing that, a car pulls up next to her. And a distinguished gentleman was in this very expensive-looking car. He rolls on the window, and he says, they're beautiful, aren't they? And she looks at the gentleman, and she looks at the display case, and she says, yes. He says, where are you from? And the girl says, you don't have to know that. And she starts to walk. The man says, you know what, it's dangerous for a girl like you to be by yourself. You know, but um, I can take care of you. I can give you what you need. If you want those clothes, I can buy those clothes for you. If you're hungry, I can buy you food. Do you want to eat? I can take you somewhere to eat. She was kind of hungry. And so she, a little bit reluctant, but she accepted the offer. The man took her to a restaurant they ate. Elegant restaurant. And then he took her shopping. She bought the clothes she wanted. She looked beautiful. But then the man said to her, you don't think these things are free, do you? And the sad turn of events took place from that moment on. That girl was sold into prostitution. Terrible life. And she had, when she tried to run away, this man would beat her and say, Don't you ever think about doing that again. You're mine now. And this girl suddenly realized how she longed for her parents and her family. And somehow they found out that. She caught a disease. So the man says, I can't use you anymore. Threw her off to the streets. She's in the alleys, homeless, no food, no shelter, no one to turn to. 
And then she mustered enough courage. She felt so ashamed of herself. She felt that she could in no way come back home. And she mustered the courage up to one day, in a moment of desperation, she called her mother. And when the mother heard her voice, the mother immediately said, where are you? We'll come and get you. And she started crying. She told the mother where she was. She was going to meet her at the bus stop. And the mother paid for a ticket for her to get on a bus to meet her at the bus station where the bus station would, would take her to her mother. As the bus station, as she arrived at the bus station, she expected only to see her mother and maybe her father. But lo and behold, she was so surprised that it wasn't just her mother and her father, but her whole family, her extended family. Everyone in the neighborhood came out to welcome her home. When she came off that bus, his fa her father came out of the crowd, him and his mother, her, her father and her mother came and embraced her, and they were crying. And friends, on this earth, we live in a sinful world. So many bad things we've experienced in this life in a sinful world. But Jesus is longing to bring you home. Jesus doesn't care what you've done. All he wants is you back because you are precious to him. There's no one else like you in the world and he wants you back. And Jesus says, I want you to realize what I have in store for you is better than this life and I long for you to live with me for eternity. Would you like to say today, yes, Lord, I would like to live with you for all eternity. I want to give my life to you. I want to commit my love to you and follow you wherever you lead me. Would you like to make that decision tonight, today? You know, if that's your decision, would you say, Lord, I accept that invitation. And I long to come home. If that's your desire, would you stand where you are? If you know that this world is not your home and you want to look forward to what Jesus has in store for you and you want to accept that invitation, stand where you are. You know, I see here God's family. We are all brothers and sisters in Christ. And one day soon, we will meet in heaven. One day soon, we will be there on the sea of glass. In fact, 
Can we make a promise today? Can we make a promise today that we will be there? Let's say on the second Sabbath, my first Sabbath taken up there in heaven. But let's make an appointment to be there on the second Sabbath at the Sea of Glass at 3 o'clock. It'll be easy to remember. See you at the sea at 3. And we know that when we get there, that Jesus will be greeting us. Jesus will be under the tree of life, next to the river of life, and we will see a beautiful scene of the holy city. How many of you want to be there? Are you planning to meet there? Be there at the Sea of Glass at 3 o'clock, second Sabbath in heaven. You promise? Do everything you can to be there. Amen? Let's pray as we close. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that we can only imagine what it would be like to be in heaven, to be in the earth made new. But Lord, we pray that that desire will be always burning in our hearts. That desire for a better world, that desire for a better life, that desire to be with you for all eternity. Nothing else matters more than that. And Lord, you see, here we stand, longing for that day, longing to be there with you and to all be there together, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Lord, we pray that you'll please do everything in your power to keep us on the straight and narrow path towards that heavenly city. If our feet will venture off, by your grace, bring us back. If our wandering heart is being enticed and seduced by the things of this world, Reveal your love in a greater way so that our love for you will triumph over anything that this world offers. Lord, we pray that you'll please cleanse us from our sin. Make us new. Sanctify us with your Spirit whom you've promised will be with us till we meet you again. And Lord, we pray for each and every individual here. There are many here, perhaps, that are struggling, that are suffering, and that's only helping them to yearn for something better. Lord, we pray that 
you will please sustain us and comfort us and help us to see you as our source of life. And we thank you for all that you'll do. And we thank you for the promise of salvation through Jesus Christ, your Son. And we praise you and give our hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.